Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 149 of the Speaking Club podcast. At the time of recording, it's nearly Christmas, and I think it's going to be the weirdest Christmas I've ever had. It's funny because there was one Christmas where my partner and I ended up spending Christmas Day on our own. We were free of hosting responsibilities, family arguments, and the noxious aftermath of my dad eating Brussels sprouts. That day we spent playing golf and relaxing in our jimmy jams, and I remember it fondly. But this year, when that is a very likely scenario, all I want is the craziness and connection of family and some big hugs. But we've got to think of the bigger picture, and I'm hopeful that soon we'll get the chance for our lives to get back in full swing, and we'll have our big family gatherings again. And then we'll think fondly of lockdown. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hi there! I hope you're well. I so enjoyed recording today's interview and I hope that you love it too. My guest is Jill Saltzman, a businesswoman who is on her third entrepreneurial adventure. She's already successfully sold two businesses, one in the music industry and one in baby jewellery. CNN Money called her a mummy mogul and she was named one of the top 50 women to watch in tech. She's also an author, a podcast host for Inc. Magazine's top rated entertaining business podcast, Breaking Down Your Business and an international speaker. And she shared the stage with people like Richard Branson, Sheryl Sandberg, Marilou Henna and Desmond Tutu, just to name but a few. And she's currently growing her third business, which is The Founding Mums, the world's first and only global collective of offline masterminds and online resources for mom entrepreneurs. And in this show, she is going to be sharing lessons learned from her own journey so that you, whether you're a mom or not, whether you're a fella, whoever you are, you can take the fast path to success in yours. Now, don't forget, before I cut over to the interview, that you can come and join the Speaking Club community over at the Speaking Club Facebook hub. And if you want to get better at storytelling so that you can rock 2021, then do come and check out the free Snackable Story Challenge over at saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. Right, that is enough from me. Let's cut to the interview welcome to the speaking club jill saltzman thank you how are you today i'm very well it's uh it's just ending the day here is it just where about to you what time is it? i'm literally just waking up i haven't even gotten to my cup of coffee yet yeah we're 10 a.m here which is early for me yeah so yeah <laughs> so there we go but um yeah i'm very much looking forward to talking with you um, you've had a really interesting journey. So let's start. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? A very, very famous singer. And I'm going to date myself, but I wanted to be like Madonna. I really loved her. 
She was wildly inappropriate for me at such a young age, but I was going to be a famous singer and that was that. Well, that's curious because one of my questions, I mentioned Madonna, who you remind me of in, in a number of ways, but we'll come on to that. What? famous <laughs> compliment. Oh. Yeah, I even have a drawing. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I have a drawing of, it's, it's me. I drew it myself of me on the cover of Time magazine holding a microphone. Wow. Okay. Yeah, didn't come true, but next slide. Next slide. I love Madonna. I've got, I, I had one of her picture discs and, and many of her albums. Um, cool. Okay. So one of the stories that you tell to highlight one of the entrepreneurial traits of mothers is about your mum. Yes. And it's how she helped you get into an event to see one of your rock and roll idols. And, and I wondered how much of an influence on you she'd been and also in what you've achieved so far. Mm. She was pretty amazing back then, but you know, as a little girl or boy, you don't really know that your parents are incredible in certain areas and they might suck in others. But in this one in particular, any time that we kids wanted to do something, uh, she would encourage it no matter what it was. If we walked into a museum and there were paintings on the wall of very famous artists, she would point at it and say, oh, you kids can do that. You know, she always made it sound like, it's just, it's easy. You'll, you'll do it too. You're like, mom, that's a Picasso. No, youll be fine. Just let's go home. <laughs> so when I said to her, I needed to get into this big event, I, to this day, I don't understand why she was comfortable helping me not only construct a lie because I was underage, but get me dressed for an event. Once I lied my way into the rock and roll hall of fame ceremony, uh, she not only was participating in the wardrobe aspect, but she drove me there and she dropped a teenager off at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York uh, and waited for me in the parking lot and loves to this day to talk about the stories she got from the fellow limo drivers. She was in a blue and brown Oldsmobile station wagon, but everyone else had a limo. And so she talks endlessly about what a great time she had in the parking lot. So I don't know uh, why she was so okay with it, because she was a very boundaried mom. She was very strict. Uh, but I loved how she gave us rules surrounding manners and all of the things kids need. Uh, but when it came to dreaming and being creative, the, the sky was the limit. And so I really, truly thought I could do literally anything. And that's, that's sort really of how I conducted myself. Yeah. She sounds yeah. like quite a character. Yeah, and I she... think, um, so the full story of this, you can hear on Jill's TEDx talk, but effect effectively, um, it centers around one of your idols, Eddie Vetter, who was the, was the lead singer of Pearl Jam, is that right? He was, he is, still is. And uh, I don't know if I was obsessed with him. I think I was truly in love with him. I just want to clarify the, the difference. So in stalking him, uh, not obsessed, just in love, I ended up lying my way into the induction ceremony because he was inducting Neil Young into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so I thought if I went there, he'd propose to me, we'd be married. So, you know, saying that as a grown up, it does really sound crazy, but I was 16. So it ended up working. I got into the event, but I did not end up meeting Eddie Vedder. And every time I talk about this to anyone online, I always think maybe he'll call finally. <laughs> but I never did. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I had a massive uh, crush on uh, a singer in the UK called Cliff Richard and threw myself on the bonnet of his car at a gig 
and uh, unfortunately my my tactics didn't work either he <laughs> in fact well let's not go there it's some may question whether it's funny, I had any chance at all <laughs> I confirm it so determined yeah. yeah anyway but you give you give credit to your mum for getting you into that event oh but yeah I do you think it's underplaying your tenaciousness because when you talk about share that story you talk about the, the amount of times that you phoned up at the hotel trying to get in and I trying do. all sorts of different tactics and i just wonder have you always been tenacious and how much do you think if you have that it's helped you on your entrepreneurial journey i think the answer is a chicken or, or egg answer because my mom was so encouraging of the crazy things i wanted to do seemingly crazy but they weren't crazy to me that I don't know if she encouraged it and then I took off or if I came into the world that way and she just helped it flourish. But yes, I've always been very bold. I've always thought that other people overthink doing the bold things. It never makes sense to me when somebody sits and plans something out on an Excel sheet for three months. Uh, it could be that I don't also have very much patience. So <laughs> I, I tend to wanna just do the thing and if it takes a big stroke of any kind, I'll probably be the first to do it of anybody that I know. Not jump off a bridge, but anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so you you sort of, I want to sort of go through how you ended up doing what you do today, but you, you trained to be a bankruptcy lawyer. I did. Uh, and then <laughs> you threw that all into the ether and changed to sort of the music business. Yes. Uh, tell me about how that happened. And was, sure. it, was it that experience of being a press person at that event that had any influence on it? Yes, this old reporter interviewing Al Green. Yes, I think that had a lot. Well, no, let's rewind back to Madonna. So I was going to be a famous singer in my mind when I was 10. And then in the, I love music. I've always performed in music. Music has been a huge part of my life. So I think I got to law school having just worked at a record label in New York City. So I started out trying the music thing. And then I got burned out. If you see five shows a night, seven nights a week, and then 9-11 hits New York, you kind of want to leave and go do something else. So I did, and I fell in love with this class. It sounds crazy, but please don't quote me on this. Bankruptcy law is very interesting. It sounds crazy, but it really is. So I thought, I could do this. This sounds fun for me. And then I went and worked in a law office for two weeks after law school and watched the lawyer in the firm play solitaire all day long on his computer. And I thought, okay, I'm out. So once I left him, I kind of crawled back into the music business and thought, you know, I'm, I'm gonna jump piggybacking off of my experience at the label. I'm gonna go ahead and just help artists who are struggling, might want to go to a record label, but I know they're gonna be ruined by a record label. Uh, so I just carried on my music stuff for about six years after that. So um, you, did, you decide not to be an employee, but to start up your own business. Yeah. Yeah. Was I was scary? on the phone one day and my then boyfriend said to me, well, why don't you just start something? Leave the law firm. You're miserable. Again, two weeks. But I was so miserable. Uh, he said, start something. I said, but I don't know the first thing about starting. He said, you'll figure it out. And he knew me very well because I did. And I didn't know what I was doing. I still feel terribly for the first few clients I had because... Trial and error was the name of that game. But I tried a lot of things. I messed up on a lot of things. And it's been 15 years since I started that. And I continue to try a lot of things 
and screw up an awful lot of things. And I just keep going because that's the name of the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to fail yeah. fast. You strike me as a person that fails fast. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the way to success often. It isn't really it? is though. And everybody debate, oh, failure should never be used. Fail is a bad word. I embrace it. We've got to fail. Otherwise you can't really succeed. So I love it. I love the failure that brings you to the success. Feels so good when you finally succeed. Yeah. yeah. So you've got this this company. It's going. Yeah. You had a baby. I did. I did. I've since had two, but I had a baby. Yeah, I can't even. About two two years in to running that business, uh, which launched me into my second business. Because that's uh, what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So you had yeah. this business going on. And then you've got the baby and you decide to start a second. Well, I got the baby who got a gift. They were cute little sterling silver anklets. And then I thought, well, when my bands are on the road and touring and making money, selling tickets and merch, I get a percentage as a manager. But if they all go into the recording studio for a month, I get zero dollars. So I thought, everybody seems to like this anklet thing. Let me import them from where I got them, which was Thailand. And I'll just try to sell them online just as a side hobby, because maybe that'll bring in some money while the bands are in the recording studio. So it was supposed to be a tiny side project. And then I basically took all the things I learned from managing bands, applied it to the product. It kind of worked. And then I wrote a letter to Gwen Stefani. I did not jump on the hood of her car, but I did write her a letter that said, you've just had a baby as well. I think your new baby would look very cute in my little anklets. And I don't actually know the story, but they found their way to her baby's ankle, which then a paparazzi took a picture. It ended up on a website and that just, you know, and then I worked my butt off to get that into People Magazine. So it was sort of one of those celebrity hits that everybody dreams of that I semi-manufactured, but didn't have a ton to do with. Once we were in People Magazine, sales through the roof. So I thought I'd retire and you can't. <laughs> one hit in a big publication. It feels that way at the beginning. Uh, so then I was just uh, running two businesses. I was managing bands. I was now just filling up packages and shipping these products. I figured out pretty quickly about a year and a half in while this surge was happening that I hated selling products. So I was sort of on my way out mentally. And I think that might have begun to feed into my losing of my mind in terms of having a little kid at home, running two businesses. I'm now pregnant with the second kid uh, and thinking, well, how on earth does anybody do this? Like, this is crazy. I don't know how I'm going to stay sane. How do you do marketing if the baby's crying? How do you do a sales call if you only have two hours of nap time? Uh, it all seemed ludicrous to me. And I didn't, I only knew women at the time who, if they had babies, they were stay at home. If they worked, they didn't have babies. So I didn't know anybody who had a business and a babe like I did which led me to my third business, uh, which in telling sounds like, man, she's got a lot going on. But I essentially started a little self-serving group in Chicago uh, and said, if you have a business and a baby, please come tell me how you're doing it because I'm losing my mind. And enough showed up that at some point I thought, this could be a business. This feels bigger than anything I've ever done before. So pretty quickly, I closed up my music management business. Said goodbye to all the artists. This feels a lot better. Uh, I sold my baby jewelry business very quickly in. Uh, and we officially launched the Founding Moms in 2010 
And again, it was trial and error. It was an experiment. I didn't know what I was doing. I did not plan on creating a global community of mom entrepreneurs. It sounds funny to me even now, uh, but it's been 10 years and we keep growing and it's an incredible ride. And I, the only thing that I was right about in my whole life was that this is bigger than anything I'd done before. I want to talk to you a bit more about that, but I just want to step back a little bit, just okay. to pick up on something that you said. So you said you applied the things that you'd had success within the music business to remind me the name of the you know what i didn't even say it it's called the it's the bumble brand it's where the bumble bells bumble bells they're really cute i did i did have a look at them um so yeah so what were those what were those things that you took from because i love the idea of taking stuff from one industry and using it to disrupt it was there a bit of that going on what were those things all of my three businesses are so related in a way only i know because the thread, the commonality is when you are managing bands, each client has its own customer base, its own audience. So if you're managing a singer-songwriter, their fans are not going to probably listen to your, I'm making it up now, rapper, rock band, any genre, pick a genre. So because I didn't represent all the same genre, I, I had different audiences and we had to figure out how to keep them, how to retain these customers so that they would keep buying tickets, keep paying attention to the artists. So I ended up doing, helping them get a lot of PR, helping them doing a lot of booking, figure it out very quickly how, what kind of pitches work, what don't. So when I was presented with a little product, which I'm going to get for you. Hold on. Uh-huh. Right here. Because it's more fun to see it. Here's my then six-month-old. We did a photo shoot at Target. She's wearing the little bumble bells, which are right here, which are maybe hard to see on Zoom. Um, oh, yeah, I can see. Yeah, cool. Very sweet little thing. But when I was presented with a product, I thought, wait, I can do the same pitch. It's not a living, breathing person, but I can pitch magazines. I can figure out lists that I can talk to in this industry. So a lot of the marketing stuff that I was used to, I just rinsed and repeated in this new area. And I'm sure uh, somebody might argue, well, it's not exactly the same thing because they're completely, they're people, they're versus a product. It is kind of the same thing. And so now that I have, uh, I guess, an army of mom entrepreneurs in lots of cities around the world, they are kind of fans, you know, of an artist. So in a way, I'm now Madonna. But You see what I did there? Uh, but they now all, like, I have to keep figuring out what makes them happy, what is going to retain them to keep coming to buy my tickets and my merch. So for me, who's worked a long time in the music biz, all of it feels like I'm constantly figuring out the customer attention game. And as long as I'm good at that, uh, there's no reason they'll leave. There's no reason that they won't continue to show up. Fantastic. That's some br- that's brilliant advice there. So again, I want to take you back a little bit. So we had those two businesses going. You were a young mum. Did you, as a young mum and entrepreneur, encounter any sexism that you can recall? I can't recall any at the beginning. If you're siloed in a home office, you don't really run into a lot of folks. And if in the music business, I encountered any when I was launching my management company, Mm-hmm. I don't think I read it as sexism. So it might have happened, but I didn't register. You know, if there was anything dismissive, I just rolled right over it, I'm sure, and didn't notice. I have noticed more recently, which is weird, because it's, you know, it's, what year are we in? You know, it's so late in the game and the world. But yeah, there, there. I think our dear president, who's currently the president and is leaving soon, not to get political, but 
you know, there was an incident years ago where he was grabbing all women's body parts and uh, it sort of gave permission to a lot of men to be more comfortable cracking those jokes, uh, actually trying those things. Uh, it, it was really not a good moment for a lot of people. And I think there's a reason the Me Too movement showed up at the time. And running a woman-led company of women, you know, it's sort of puts you in a comfortable place for some people to target. And like, I don't understand why you ladies need to get together and do these things, you know. So that's not an extreme sexism, you know, but that's probably the most extreme. But if your question means, have I felt it in a way that it stopped me from moving forward? No, no that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get that sense. I get that sense that you are an unstoppable yeah. <laughs> um, and an immovable force all in one. So one of the things that, that I noticed you point to as a strength of mumpreneurs is that they're able to make things up without a manual. So that was your point about them being a mum and babies don't come with a manual. But I'm guessing by that you're saying that they're resilient and adaptable rather than lacking in strategic planning or direction. Yes. Is that We true? all lack strategic planning and direction. Yes. No. It's not a... <laughs> It's not a scientific thing. I just mean to say that, and I say this because so many moms, particularly maybe women in general, probably a lot of dudes as well, tend to write off their ability to adapt when it comes to business. When they look at, well, I'd like to grow this thing. I'd like to build a company, whatever they want to do. When it's put in the business box, it's like they shut down in the adaptability area and they think it I can't do this. It's too scary. And they talk themselves right out of it. And I think they forget. But if you have a kid, that kid is constantly changing and morphing and growing and different needs, particularly in the baby stage, like every week, they look like a different person. Um, and they act differently. And so if you are able to grow with your kiddo and continue to adapt and change to their needs, I view it as exactly the same thing in business. So I like to remind folks, you know, if you've done it with a kid, you'll be fine. I guess it's fine. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because that's a nice segue into my next question, which is that in my experience, working with uh, women clients and students is one of their biggest challenges is facing their own demons. And I believe, I believe stem from hundreds of years of being told as a gender that there are things we can't do or do as well as perhaps men. What do you think about that? And, and do you think founding mums is an antidote to that self-doubt and imposter mm. syndrome? Ooh, I love that, you're hired. Yes, I do agree with you, but I don't think it's so explicit, which is why this is so hard to talk about with people. Because it's not that we all grew up hearing, well, Jill, you can't do this because you're a girl. It's not a directive that we all receive. It's sort of a subconscious underlying packed into social norms thing that we women pick up in society and it's sort of intimated by well that guy's going to get a raise and she's shyer and she's sweeter and she's not going to ask for the raise so we don't have to pay her more when in fact she learned that from society from growing up and knowing that women are a little more docile they're a little more no it's okay i just want to be loved and thought of as a nice person where dudes don't think that. They don't feel that way as strongly because that's what society's taught them. So I view the founding moms as a way for me to get a whole lot of women to become aware of that, not to charge out in the world and blame, but to sort of collectively come together and go, 
wait a second, I can do this, you know, and sort of realize what, what was I taught and what, what, what am I talking about? This is not applicable to me. Of course I have the stuff. Of course I can move forward. And then if she, she can go ahead and do that and not feel alone, that's really important. If she doesn't feel alone, um, there's a lot of success for her. And then it's kind of like very tight, very teeny tiny chipping away of, you know, these societal norms and hopefully teaching our kids that, uh, what my mom imparted to me, you know, like any, you can do it. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I think the blaming thing is a, is a dead end. I think it's, it is about. Agreed. Agreed. And in the fact, power and, yeah. there's no one to blame. We're a society. We're all in this together. You can blame the women. You can blame the men. You can blame anybody you want, but what is the point? You know, we're here. Let's just deal with it and move forward. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, um, is if you had to sum up your mission message in okay. one sentence, what would it be? In one sentence? Well, I believe that mom entrepreneurs should be taken as seriously as every other business person in the world. That's probably it in one sentence. I have a lot of words that follow after that. But I think, yeah, because the, the media doesn't take us seriously, fellow women don't take us seriously, Society on the whole discounts us, as to quote my own mom, you know, a lot of people believe that the brain comes out with the baby and it doesn't. We're just fine, everybody. And we are savvy, we're sophisticated. Uh, and if we were taken more seriously, I think the world would be a better place. Well, yeah. and, and how does, so I'm interested to hear some of the sort of, you know, the transformational stories from women that are in your group. So mm -hmm. they, they kind of, they find you, your group for support perhaps and, you know, maybe some, some training, I don't know, but what, what sort of transformations have you seen? Uh, well, they come to us for one of two reasons. They either need specific help. They've been doing what they've been doing a long time and they're good at it, but they don't, they need refreshers or help on marketing, sales, or branding. Those are the three we focus on. Or they come because they're just lonely and they've been working at home alone and they need a community of emotional support. So those are the, sort of the two ways that they find us you know what, just to illustrate it, I have one great story about a woman and this, you know, we have a lot of great stories, but my favorite is of course the huge rags to riches story where she did not show up in literal rags, but there was a woman, a mom who had just had her third kid showed up to a meeting in sweats. So maybe rags for some people in sweats, <laughs> up, and she kind of, you know, as we were all sharing at the table, um, we have meetups in lots of cities that actually meet in real life when there's not a pandemic happening. She shared, I have this idea. I want to create this, uh, this rubber goo that you can put on your cuticles. And when it dries, you'll peel it off after you paint your nail and you'll have a perfect manicure. We all were like, okay, crazy lady. <laughs> you know, we felt really bad for her. She looked a little disheveled. She just had a babe. You know, like even we were going like, you poor thing. So we all just smiled and nodded. And I said to her, yeah, if you're really going to do this, uh, the next time you show up to a meeting, bring it. And she did. And she had burns all over her fingers because she was literally testing out all of these different chemicals. She then did a little example for us and our jaws dropped because it worked. And we thought like, oh my God, how embarrassing. We totally misjudged and here she is doing the thing. Fast forward a couple years, she stopped wearing her sweats every day. But she has since been chased by... Revlon and L'Oreal. She's been in every beauty magazine you can think of. 
she's now a millionaire and I am so proud of her and wished I had taken a percentage as the leader <laughs> of Founding Moms, but I didn't. Um, but she has done so well and except for that beginner meeting where we weren't much help, that's really also a, an outlier. The rest of the time she kept showing up not because she needed help creating the rubber substance, not because she even asked us, she did ask us for design opinions here and there, she just needed to remember every month that she's a businesswoman and she needed to be among us to remind herself, wait, I can figure this out. Oh, that lady over there with her story figured out how to market her whole thing. That lady over there figured out the PR bit and all of that fed into making her what she is now, which is an extreme success. So we have a lot of stories like that and not all of them are products. Most of them are service-based actually, but just women who if they had not come together, they would have sat at home and talked themselves out of doing anything seriously, raising their prices, moving forward, any of it. That sounds fantastic. And I'm going to, at the end, I do want to give the opportunity to share where people can find yes. out more about founding mums. Okay. But I just want to feel like there's a couple more questions. So I, I was really interested because I watched your TEDx talk. And I guess it was around six, seven years ago now, maybe. It was on 11, 11, 11. Isn't that great? I'll never oh, forget. It was quite a while there. Yeah, a while ago. I have to say, you you look younger today than you did then. Was <laughs> just seeing you, you now in the flesh. But funny. it looks alongside yeah. you creating new ventures. Although you were talking about founding mums then, there seems to be a big difference between your brand and personal style from then till yeah. now. Is that right? And has it been intentional? I'm so glad you asked. It began as an accident. 11, 11, 11, yeah, I'd already had my second kiddo. I think there was a day I had to go to a, it was a TV appearance, I believe, but I thought it was audio only and I didn't do my hair. And so it was this giant curly mop and I got there and oh no, there are all these cameras and I was, isn't this audio only? Uh, and freaked out and realized, I think after that appearance, people, oh my God, I love your hair. It's so great, it's so curly. Uh, and I don't think I realized how curly it could get. And so I thought, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to stop doing my hair. And I noticed everywhere I went, I stood out more. Because in that TEDx talk, if anybody goes to look at it, my hair was flat ironed for a good 20 years up until that point. Oh, so I, looked, I thought if I looked more business proper, I would be taken more seriously. So I let the curly hair go. And then I started wearing patterned leggings everywhere I went. And everybody had such like a fun reaction. And I realized they were reflecting who I really was. Like that, yeah. that is who I am. Nike dunks, pattern, leggings, crazy hair. And the more I have relaxed over the years into who I really am and being more transparent with, like I'm gonna wear the party piggies in an interview cause it's more fun. The more people have been drawn to my business and the more money I've made. So it began as unintentional and now it's very intentional. Uh, and I love being wacky, crazy, zany only because it reminds everybody like business doesn't have to be boring. That's sort of my Emma, you know, you don't have to just do this in flat ironed hair with black skirts and heels. Ugh. Yeah. No, it works. You look great. And your, your personality, as I said to you, shines. Matches, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, one of the questions, this is the speaking club, and I know you speak, and I wondered how do you think speaking has fit into your, is fitted into your business model and business success? 
I have loved every moment that I'm on the stage and every single time I'm on the stage, I, I have a moment of clarity in the middle of my own sentences thinking to myself, God, if I could only do this, it'd be amazing. And I think one day I'll get there where I only do speaking. So part of it is that I need it because it makes me feel so strong about what I know. It helps me connect with audiences. I hate the pandemic for this reason because we could connect here. I love this. But the live energy in a room full of people, uh, there's nothing like it. And if you're comfortable on stage, which is tough, it's a game changer. So I partly do it because I need it. I also, I know that every time I do a speaking gig, it, it lures someone into, well, I want to find out more about the founding moms. So it does really help my biz, but not in the direct way that I think a lot of people assume. When I become a speaker, I'll just make millions of dollars because everyone in the audience will come and join my thing uh, or buy my product. And I... I've written two books, and of course I bring them to any gig. That's been the biggest eye-opener of all, that the books, for me, not everybody, uh, are like side pieces. It's like a mention, it's sort of like a, I don't know, I think of it as like a speaker's fart, you know? Just like a little, <laughs> a little thing over here that like they could buy, they don't have to buy. Some people who are real book fans love them, but otherwise it's like, a that to me is the showpiece where speaking itself is much more effective and promising for, yeah. for at least me. I can't speak for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Okay. And I, before I ask you my standard questions, yeah. what on earth is cloofing? I saw <laughs> this word. I'm like, what is that? I need, maybe it's a UK yeah. thing, yeah. but I haven't got a clue, but what is it? So someone told me a long time ago, put something on your resume that, uh, that will start a conversation. And I thought that's such a brilliant idea. So I put it on the resume and I've since transferred it to my bio that's now all mm. over the place. Kloofing uh, is Afrikaans, if you're clearly not South African. Uh, in South Africa, it's, it stands for, it means cliff jumping. So kloofing uh -huh. is cliff jumping. So when I lived there for six months, they took us to the top of a mountain. We hiked for five hours and then you find a ledge on the top of the mountain with a pool of water below and you jump and then you go to the next ledge and you jump your way down the other side of the mountain. And it is very not American. There were no safety precautions taken. The safety precaution is the guide jumps first. And if he's alive, when he comes up in the water, you go next. I will never do it again. And I don't recommend anybody ever kloof, but that's what it is. Excellent. I'm wiser. There you go. I now know what it is. It's something I probably won't do myself. No, please don't do it. Give yourself. Do, do some dangerous things, but that's... <laughs> Yeah, I did that one for both of us. Yeah. No. <laughs> cool. Brilliant. Right. My standard questions. So the, the first thing, and you may have already answered it, but is what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Three different thoughts just crossed through my brain all at once. But I think connecting with people is, is the best. My favorite, favorite, favorite thing is literally connecting in the room and, and feeling that energy and having it feed me and having it feed them. And everybody's just happy you know, making energy love together in the room. I love it. Were you always comfortable with speaking? To some degree, yes. I've been on a stage for a very long time. I, um, I've sung a lot on stage all growing up. So to some degree, but also to some other degree, no one's comfortable on a stage with a ton of eyeballs staring at them. It's, uh, I'm one of those folks, I don't know what it's called, but I don't get nervous before I go on. I get more confident than ever while I'm on. But afterwards, I get really nervous. 
and I can't sleep for a few days. Oh, I screwed this up. I can't go back now. It's very weird, but I don't get pre, I get post nerves, which I hate. Well, yeah. that's a good segue into my next question, which is, have you had a bad speaking gig? You know, one of the ones where you go, oh my God, that was awful. I never want to think about that again. Of course. Yes. And my, <laughs> the brightest one that shines in my mind is the room full of plumbers that I was hired to go into and talk about, I think it, it was marketing or leadership. Uh, no, it was leadership. There was just literally nothing I could say or do that connected me to these plumbers. I didn't speak their language. I was a last minute call in. Uh, they were like the guy who couldn't do it. So they called me and, and I, I had fun, but either they couldn't connect with me and thought it was terrible or they were all just not wanting to be there that day. I don't know what it is, but oh my God. Oh yeah, but otherwise, you know, if you're a speaker and you have to be at a conference all day long and you sort of fall asleep through some of them and then you get up on a panel and and they ask you questions pertaining to the this session two sessions ago and you have no idea what they're talking about. Those are my favorites. Yeah, those are great. Those work out well. Great, uh, great for improv uh, practice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't always work, but yeah, okay. we try, we try. Cool, okay. Um, what's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Can I give you a most recent answer? Of course, you can give me whatever answer you want. I'm in your questions. Uh, I just read a book that changed my life and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, it's by a guy named Bessel van der Kolk. Oh, I like uh, his name. I think he's from the Netherlands. And it's a, a gargantuan 5,000 million page book. It's just a lot of pages, maybe 500 or something. Uh, and I say that because I'm a slower reader and I don't read that often books anymore. It's all about trauma and how we all keep trauma in the body and how a lot of people, they can't even talk about it because it's in there. And it was like a very heavy topic, uh, one that I don't specialize in, but it's just interesting because then, you, you know, reading the book, I realized so much of humanity struggles with this and he talks all about the different ways people suffer the different remedies they're trying now it's truly highly highly recommended for everybody but yeah it's really changed me quite a bit in, in which and how has it actually changed your life i am more attentive to other people and more sensitive to perhaps that guy emailed me something really insulting because he's having a really bad day because of some history of something you know like and maybe i'm giving too much to it but i like generally studying the patterns in people so it's always helpful just to know, just to remember, to be reminded, like, you know, things might come from somewhere and it's not that the world is assaulting or attacking you uh, or that people might feel insulted. I send a daily newsletter every day to thousands of mom entrepreneurs and I can now be more mindful of the different kinds of women that are reading it, you know? So it's, it's helpful in a lot of ways, I think. Um, yeah, and probably trying to figure out if I, I don't think it applies directly to me, but it probably does. There were so many pages in the book. It probably does. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I don't know if, it, if, he, if he touched on this in the book, but I do remember hearing a story about how someone had a bad back and mm -hmm. he went to get it sorted and it, it wasn't actually, there was physically anything wrong. It was, he was holding on to some baggage from the past. And as soon as he released that, his back. That's a whole, I'm sure whomever healed him, if it wasn't Bessel, it was a disciple of Bessel's. Sounds kooky crazy, but there's so much 
that we all hold in our bodies in places that we don't realize. Yeah, so it's like good for even if there's future trauma and you figure out like every time I think about that incident, like my left shoulder hurts, you know, and to connect it and yeah, really neat. Okay, yeah. I will put a link in the show notes to that. What is the best bit of business advice you've had and why? Uh, I think the best ever was from my former podcast co-host. I had a podcast for six years with a guy named Brad Ferris who looked at me one day and I was talking about how I wasn't sure about something in biz. I don't remember. And he said, why don't you just raise your prices? And I said, but I can't do that. He said, just raise them. Uh, and it was the best three words he ever said to me uh, because since then, for some, it opened the door for me and I realized how not scary that is and how much it scares a lot of people. So I've sort of absorbed his advice and continue to pass it on to everybody. Whatever you're charging, it's probably not enough. You're, you know, it's tied into self-worth and value and yeah, it had a big impact on me. Yeah. Did, did you find what, what I've experienced, um, what I've heard and what I've learned from others is that if you raise your prices, you actually get better clients better quality more committed more action focused have you found that too 100 percent. but i think the flip side has to be discussed where right before you decide to raise them or announce it the fear that they're all going to leave you is very real yeah so even though you might believe that that's true that things get better on the other side it's really hard to jump over that hurdle and not think you're ruining yourself and your business and really that worry the thing I'm talking about really is you don't feel good enough to raise your prices yet. So it's a little bit of self-work, a little bit of jumping over that hurdle. And then once you do, yeah, people self-select out. Oh my God, that's so expensive. I'm out. You don't want those people as clients. You know, you don't want those customers. So it does improve things tremendously. Um, but you have to believe that it will in order to do it, you know. Cool. Okay, last question. If you could pick one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Oh, well, I feel really badly. It's not gonna be Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it would be Stephen Colbert. Okay. He is a little American pundit, you know, yeah, funny guy. I know him. Yeah, has the quickest mind of anybody I've ever seen in the world. Uh, I'm sure there are others, but he, you know, when he's off script and doing an interview with someone, the speed that he thinks is unbelievably impressive. He seems to have all the right views to me, even though we're wildly different people. Um, I have a lot of admiration for him and what he does and what he's turned his life into. Uh, so I just man, he would take me on. Steven, if you're watching, <laughs> I'm here. She's, she's ready and waiting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared. If people want to find out more about you uh, yeah. for speaking or to find out more about founding mums, where's the best place for them to go? Best place is foundingmoms.com. I'm so sorry we don't have founding mums yet, but we're going to get there. Foundingmoms.com, or if you want to find me literally anywhere online, social or otherwise, at foundingmom is my handle in all the places. And I'm jill at foundingmoms.com if you want to reach out directly. Yeah. 
brilliant and yeah, what are your two my... books just just give those yeah. a plug as well what, what yeah uh, i wrote a book called found it a field guide for mom entrepreneurs if you know any mom entrepreneur who needs help launching getting going uh running her biz that's the book for you my much more recent book is called the best business book in the world according to my mom and it is it's a compilation of emails that i've sent out that have resonated with a lot of my members um, and it's fun it's sort of broken up into different subjects of business and more advice that's what i'm here for i will ask just because it just popped into my head and i'm not sure i did ask if you could just give from this point three things that you would share with a mompreneur what would those three tips be for them to have success apart from join founding mums obviously yeah yeah stop waiting just do the thing already because i know whoever is watching that this applies to has been hemming and hawing and wondering should she go ahead and really do it just do the darn thing take it from nike my second one is to make sure you know like you've got to hammer it into your brain that this stuff takes time uh, which is why you need to do the first thing is just do it already. Because I think a lot of people, particularly in entrepreneurship think, all I read about are overnight successes. It's just going to happen. And it doesn't. So it takes a long time, um, to really find your way with your business. So, uh, my third tip, a very practical one, get that email list together, get an email list together, just grow it. And I know that's easier said than done, but, you have to start with an email list. It's the gold for you. And it's going to be much more powerful for you than anything you do on social media. Yeah. Those are excellent tips. Smashing. Yeah. Jill, thank you so much for you sharing for all of me. that. You're awesome. more than welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've brightened up my day um, just <laughs> by you know, the vibes that are coming off you. You're on social media as well. And you oh, everywhere. To say you hi. have yeah. not cleaned me. Yes. Come find <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> all right that's brilliant thank you so much again jill and you have a wonderful rest of your day you too take care she is a blast isn't she if you're a founding mum it's well worth checking out jill's community also if you're anyone check out her tedx talk where you'll get the full story of her blagging her way into the event to meet her rock and roll idol and i think you know she's such a role model for authenticity and for taking bold action and all the links to her stuff are in the show notes. And we'll be showing that clip of her showing me the bumble bells in the Speaking Club Facebook group. So that's it for me. Before I go, I just want to say thank you for choosing this podcast to listen to. And if you're a regular listener and you get value from the show, I would love it if you could leave a rating and or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash t. SC. It just takes a couple of minutes, but it really helps me. I love getting feedback, love seeing what you think, and it helps the show get found by other people who need it. Well, that's it. Until next time, don't forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking. 
from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.